back, y'all, to the Coach Dad podcast today. We're pumped. We get to talk to uh, a guy I've known most of my life. Uh, his name's Dave Piper, but definitely goes by Coach Piper. Um, he is one of my dad's best friends, and uh, he is he's an awesome guy. And we are super excited to have him on the podcast today. Um, so thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, guys. Appreciate it. Coach, I gotta ask you before we get in, man. What what kind of football player was Petey growing up? Did you have to toughen him up a little bit? I don't think he knows. You know, yeah, I only got to see a little bit because he was in between because we were moving right about the same time he was getting into those ages. So, but no, he was tough. He was good. Not only that, he's a center, so uh, you know he's smart. So we know that much about him. <laughs> All I had going for me. <laughs> No, he uh, he saw me a little bit as a little kid, you know, playing fo- front yard football with his boys because, you yeah. know. Now, uh, how old are you now? 32. 32. So, yeah, Gibson's 30, almost 34 now. Yeah. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, man. Uh, but, yeah, we really appreciate you being here. Super excited to talk to you. Uh, just wanted to hear – we're excited to hear your story. Um, just would love to hear kind of a little bit of your background, like who are you, what fires you up, Um what uh what's a little bit about your story growing up your relationship with your family yeah yeah. yeah so my parent my mom just texted me five minutes ago landing in scotland and that's where they're from so oh, my wow. parents came from scotland in the 50s and we were first generation so nobody ever did anything in america before my dad did and so he became an electrician at a young age and then Eventually, it worked harder than anybody I knew, worked every shift you could imagine. In fact, most of our elementary years were it was him working third shift. So he would get home, a second shift make that, so 3 o'clock to 11 o'clock. So a lot of times we'd go to school, we'd come home, he'd be at work, then he'd come home, go to bed, and that cycle worked for a little bit until we were a little bit older. But he worked like crazy, never complained about it. And then as gro- growing up as a kid, we just, you know, blue collar, tough kids. We worked, we lived around the Detroit area playing ice hockey out on the streets. Basically everything we did was kind of outside. And so you kind of got a toughness about you. And then in ninth grade was when I, I kind of fell in love with wrestling and, and that kind of really shaped my entire identity all through high school. And then uh, after that, I got to college and realized that identity was way off and what I thought I was, I wasn't. And so God kind of was getting a hold of me there. It took a lot to get me. My parents told me not to come home from school. My girlfriend broke up with me. Uh, It even got as bad as uh, there was a Bible study on campus. And I asked one of the guys who was leading it, hey, I heard you got a Bible study. He's like, yeah, but we're kind of full. So (laughs) I wasn't wasn't even invited to the Bible study, although he's my brother-in-law now. So I guess that worked out okay. But that's, that's when awesome. I, how I found Christ. Christ took everything away. And I remember just being in bed one night in the dorms. And then my roommate was uh, half Vietnamese, half Chinese, hung around with all the Vietnamese kids. So I didn't understand what they were talking about <laughs> most of the time. So I literally just said, okay, God, I'm done. You can have my whole life. And I kind of just started from scratch right then. Uh, previous to that, I was all my accolades were about me, myself, and I. And I kind of helped start to frame what I was going to do, what I was going to be. That's awesome. And what's your family makeup um, besides you? So I've got two brothers, one older, one younger. So I was the middle child and then mom and dad. And uh, 
And that's kind of what, that's what was wild about our family. I was a real middle child. So I was out there going crazy most of the time. And my dad was the opposite. He was just like my oldest brother, kind of straight to the point and let's, let's do this, this way, this way, this way. Uh, but when I went off to college and then graduated and got my first job teaching in a Christian school, making less than $10,000 a year, he said, Jeez. man, I would trade places with you anytime because you love what you do. So at that point in my life, having my dad say, hey, what you're doing and my dad's job, and at that point, he was plant manager at Twinsburg Stamping Plant. And you know where that huge Chrysler Stamping Plant oh, yeah. was. That he was in charge of that thing. For him to say that to me at that time in my life uh, was just magic. Because then I was like, nobody else needs to tell me anything. I'm just going to just go, go get it now, you know. That's awesome. And you have how many boys that, that you've raised with Sharon? Yeah, so we have four. Four boys. Now they're 26 to 33. And... Uh, yeah, that was a treat growing up, too, because we had the funny thing about all of it. We had like from the time they were little, we I was working in the Christian school and making less than 10. Like I said, Sharon wasn't working at the time. She was babysitting. And so we were using the babysitting money plus the Christian school money to have kind of make ends meet. And uh, we did that. But what ended up happening was she then became a director of a preschool and the kids went there. So she babysat them with other kids. Then she was director of the preschool. Then they went off to school and we worked at the schools they went to. And then actually when we moved down here to North Carolina, she started working at the middle of the elementary school. I worked at the high school and the kids were there the whole time. So we literally shared that experience with our kids from kindergarten, pre-kindergarten, all the way through high school of being within five minutes of them. <laughs> so that's awesome. That's a pretty unique deal for sure. Yeah, I can relate to that. My wife's a teacher and we're kind of doing similar, you know, and the kids will go to the same school that she's teaching at. So that's, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So a, when, uh, when did you end up getting in coaching? So right out of high school. So I, I graduated and we didn't, my dad got a job in California and uh, we were going to all go Venice beach, going to be a beach bum. Couldn't wait for that. And then <laughs> uh, that thing didn't work out. So then I took off for college right in the middle. And, and again, I'd already broken up with that girlfriend I told you about. So I had nowhere. The only reason I went to the college I went to is because uh, my best buddy went there. And, and when I got there, then even he had no roommate and didn't want to room with me because he had started drinking. And one deal we made when we were in high school is we're never going to drink. We're never going to drink. So he started partying and kind of saying, oh, no, I don't want to room with you because I feel bad I'm doing that. And uh, still haven't drank to this day, which is an interesting fact. Wow. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, that was kind of shaped again where I was going, what I was doing. God was kind of isolating me to just get me ready to work for him. And that's uh, that's kind of what happened. That's cool. And what sports have you coached along the way? So I started with wrestling right then. And uh, then I went away to college and then I started doing like t-ball with kids as a kind of a side thing. And uh, during, you know, when we weren't doing classes and stuff. And then uh, the only thing is really what I haven't coached. I haven't coached lacrosse and women's field hockey. I think there's pretty like track, <laughs> softball, baseball. I mean, I've, I've pretty much coached everything you could possibly imagine. Man, so, you got uh, quite the resume. Well, I, I actually was telling, I had to give a talk a, a while back. I've actually gone to the final eight in four different sports wow. as a coach, which has been really, and wrestling and basketball are two of them, which are same season sports. You don't see that very often. That's so, wild. Yeah, it was, 
it was pretty good. It was that's pretty fun. So, and what's your role now in schools? Because I know, like, when I knew you growing up, you were a history teacher, and yeah. I don't know, like, what's your role now? I know we had talked a couple weeks ago, and you had kind of talked about like you had recently transitioned to a new, a new school, trying to build up the culture there. What's what's your role now? What's that look like? Yeah. So what, what happened was when when we came down here, you know, I started working something called ISS in school suspension. So what I recognized right away in school suspension is I got to talk to every teacher because they were always sending assignments. And then I got to work with the knucklehead kids. At the same time, I was working with all the athletes and the high level athletes. So I really got to see the culture of the school really fast. So I started recognizing that, hey, there's ways that I can do things to make these kids in here perform better, and then really start to make that impact other parts of it. So principals loved it because obviously I'm, I'm working with the lowest level kids in the sense of hardest to get along with, hardest to, to get stuff done with and making impact there. So that really started this whole journey of, hey, I, what's that look like in a bigger scale? And, and the first assistant coach that I had, I, I was in, so Durham and Raleigh are the two cities that I've worked mostly in the last 20 years. And uh, Durham has a a really tough population, East Durham, which is what I dove right into when I left uh, Calgary Valley Christian Academy. And when I went there, I really started seeing that, man, so many kids are missing things. Like even at CBCA, you'd always have situations where you'd have situations with kids without dads or divorce situations. But here it was completely different. It was seven, eight out of 10 kids without, you know, nuclear families. So that was really tough to even figure out first of all and then to try and impact it was even harder but uh, once I got with that uh, assistant coach he went on to become a principal and then he invited me back to change the culture of a school and that was completely uh, on the leadership team where most of the time I, I look at myself as kind of like a, like a lone ranger in some ways in these schools just kind of picking away at trying to help kids do better and you know, groups of kids do better and all that kind of stuff. But this was like, no, you're going to be dean of students. And I was like, what's that? And literally what he said was, this is middle school. So dean of students you have in high school to take care of all the academics. But in middle school, I said, what's that? He said, I just want you to do what you do. I don't know if you've ever been hired. You guys have been hired to do what you do. (laughs) (laughs) I just got hired to do what I do. So I didn't even know what that was, but I knew he's the opposite of me and that's why he needed a guy like me so we kind of partnered up with some other fantastic leaders principals and assistant principals that uh, within four years we had flipped that school culture uh, really made an impact and uh, what my job basically was is see what was going on and then try to get groups or different parts of it to kind of see it differently so I started a you know my wrestling team there all those kids that were fighters in the inner city i'm like come, come on man so i had a fight by year two of that we were winning championships had you know it was only 14 kids in a in a championship round and we would have 12 kids there ready to roll <laughs> we were just really doing well and it's because you gave them purpose you gave them vision you gave them something to look forward to other than the craziness that was around them and when i say craziness i mean like coming home to gunshots and coming home to violence and coming home to emptiness and coming home to like just difficult situations. And uh, so it was, a, it was a really once you get a couple kids doing that, other kids see that and say, what are you guys doing? And they want to be part of that. So you try to get people to be part of something bigger than just what they're doing. And we did that academically at that school, socially at that school, 
physically with the sports because we were always good in sports, but we just added those other elements to it and really got to got to see growth, um, which was really fun to do with a team because I was consistently doing it kind of on my own, just helping where I could and kind of adding value where I could. That's awesome. What do you think is the biggest driver of negative culture at the schools you've been at? I think it's hopelessness. Hmm. Uh, you know, when you say, and it's funny because you, you, sometimes it's hard to describe what that is kind of like beauty, but when you see it, you, you know what it is when you see it. So literally at the school that I was talking about, we didn't have a hard time keeping the kids in the classroom. We had a hard time keeping the teachers in the classroom. You know, they would just get up and leave and never come back. So Jeez. we would have all kinds of things going on. Once we established that we weren't going anywhere, so if you can convince people this, I'm not going anywhere and I'm here just to help you. And I think that's the hardest part. Like when you're there just to help, people always think you have an agenda. And when you don't, they start saying, okay, I'll buy into that. Um, the hard, and, and it really is just that, that hopelessness that turns into more hopelessness because then people are really good at that. People are good at being negative, good at running away from stuff. Good. But once you can get them to kind of jump back and see, hey, fight a few things. Go ahead on, see what you really want. Find your passion. You know, how do you do that in those kind of environments? So is your approach, I mean, I had to imagine you probably spent a lot of one-on-one time with some of these kids, right? Uh, yeah. And so one of the things, one of the biggest things I did was, is I would ask the sheriffs, hey, where shouldn't I go? And they would say, don't go here, don't go here, don't go here. And I would go there. I went there first, <laughs> right? They said, don't go there without us. And I would go there and I'd get out of my car and I would go to the houses because I would just get addresses and I would start going to the houses of kids and just say, hey, how's it going? How's everything going? Hey, is your mom home? Let me meet the family. And kind of just, and they were like, what are you doing here? And once I went to where they were, then when they came back to school, they came to where I was. But most of the time, those kids are, it's solitude. Even at the schools, uh, in the way Raleigh does it is they cut up they cut up the school into a pie and they bust kids in to different schools. So even the schools, when I was at the higher level schools in Raleigh, higher academic levels anyway, they would uh, send a lot of the lower income population to our school. And those kids never felt like they were part of anything. But when I would drive out to their neighborhood, then when they came back, they say, Hey, you, you know, you, you come where we are. We, we like that, you know, so yeah, I gotta that, imagine that, was a that, that built up a lot of trust. Tremendous. I, I can remember one one situation. I came in. I went out to lunch and came back, and there was a new kid in in school suspension. And I said, uh, "Hey, how you doing? I'm Coach Piper." And he said, "I know who you are. You come through my neighborhood all the time." <laughs> and I, he said, "You help all those kids. I appreciate that." So you don't ever know who's really watching and what they're watching, and and, and how that impacts what's really going on. Um, so, what? Do you think like what is when you're trying to build up culture of a school, like what do you think makes a good culture? It's kind of a when you're just starting, there there has to be like a vision and a goal. And then you cannot relent from it. You can't go left, right. You have to just keep going. Like no matter what. Like this the newest, like I left the one school and we kind of all a bunch of the people there left, the leadership left and went to new places. And then when I went to the new school, I can remember. I walked in and it was probably maybe months after the first year. And this girl said, um, did you come here on purpose? <laughs> and, and that's when I knew, oh, this is going to be tricky. And I said, I said, well, aren't you like the captain of the cheer team? I hate the cheer team. 
I hate this school. I don't know anything about it. And I'm like, well, then you'll never understand what I'm trying to do. And I, at that point, I knew I needed more people. That was the hardest one because I was like, because I went there to be with another coach who then they released. So now I'm alone in a place where culturally I don't know exactly what's going on. This one went through a really tough time. And so we were trying to rebuild. And so then they hired a new coach. And that was magic. He was a guy from Atlanta, played at Boise State. So he took the football team, head coaching, asked me to be assistant head coach. I took the wrestling team. And you you guys know from athletics, the football teams in high schools usually run the culture of the school, especially the athletic culture. So we were going from not winning any games to try to build this next phase. And so now we're getting closer to, to doing those things. But once I got another person with me and we both started going – we changed the culture. One of the biggest differences we made is we added a fourth period. Um, what it was was a physical education class that all the athletes took. So now we got 90 athletes in fourth period. All these guys were telling them, this is what we expect out of you. That's different. You know, that that the principal and other people came down and said, you guys are doing something different here. Because now you've got other groups looking at us going, oh, they're growing. Oh, they're developing. Oh, they're being something. Because before that was, we're not going Friday night. You guys lose. Now it's like, we can't wait to get, you know, we're going to come. We're going to come. And so it's it's just a matter of building that up. And the wrestling program, it was, this is my fifth year. Last year, we won the the, the championship and we won the, um, we ended up being seventh in the region, which is half of the state and top 20 in the state. That's the first time they, we've ever done anything like that. And you know, I got the right kids four years ago, and now we're really, you know, going to be developing where we go next. But that's you got to win too, to be honest. Yeah. You do, you, and the wins don't always have to be on the field, but you got to win somewhere where kids are behaving differently, and then that momentum, that wave starts to to switch, and then people want to be part of you because you attach with some kind of identity, and they say, "I want to be part of that. I want that's a cool thing." So, that's awesome. Um. I know like over the years you've coached so many different teams and interacted with tons of different kids, probably hundreds of thousands of kids at this point. Um, what impact, I know you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Have you seen on like on the kids that don't have a dad around or have a dad that's absent? And because as a coach, maybe as an in-school suspension teacher, as a teacher, you're kind of stepping into that father role, at least for, Maybe it's just an hour of the day, or it might be like you're really becoming like a second father to them or the only father to them. What's that? What like what impact have you seen on kids who don't have a good dad around? It's funny. I just got a phone call two days ago. We were coming home from Michigan, and uh, it was one of the kids who I thought I didn't know what happened because hmm. he had been out of the loop for a while. And what ended up happening was he got shot about a year ago, kind of dropped off the radar was still involved in stuff. And, and he was one that when I got in seventh grade, this was almost 10 years ago now that he was really starting to turn around and he just kind of, he just keeps on fluctuating. So what happens is you really can't replace those kind of uh, relationships. You know, other kids, you know, they'll, they'll, they, you have to teach them how to find God and you have to teach them how to find other family members because you're not the family member. You can be close and you can have great impact. But what you really want them to see is find Christ and then 
find people in your family that love you and you can stay connected to because really once you start getting wandering off kind of soloing it try to just be tough and tough and through it it doesn't work very well and you can't be you know that father to to very many people because yeah. you're a father to the, but i think the key thing again is being consistent staying around teaching them what good looks like what are good things how to how to how to have value that value that christ gives you like you god made you that's always taught him that even in the public school and i didn't get a lot of kickback because i would be doing things that were helping these kids so therefore there was a little more leeway on what i was saying to them like most of the time like i would tell them directly look christ died for you jesus loves you because where else are they going to hear it and when else are they going to hear it and i was willing to put other things on the line to give that opportunity. So, you know, we would have kind of pseudo Bible studies and I would teach them biblical principles and uh, tell them how much God loved them. And of course, I'm going out with these kids, like you said earlier, one on one all the time, you know, a lot of one on ones, um, and because that's the way you make the real impact and just let them know they're loved. And you can teach them their love at a higher level when you're not there. They will keep searching for that. And God is obviously completely in charge of how you know he brings them to him but i would always try to just keep giving the opportunity and again once you do that a couple times people believe you know in what you're trying to do and they'll they'll back you and and the and other people in the community i always try to be part of the community that i was going to knowing that i may not be there all the time because now it's like four schools that i've been to so you can't be everywhere all the time plus my own four kids who are and grandkids now that are that are all part of that equation. So I think just being consistent, giving them hope, giving letting them know that God has a future for them. You know, Jeremiah 21, 29, 11, just letting them know that they have that, I think is the key thing. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, what you're doing in these schools, we can do the same thing in our own houses. So talk to us a little bit about building a culture within your own home. Yeah, and I think the most important part there is I never lost the identity of my family through this. And one of the ways I can remember, kind of a sidelight, but I came home one time and I was talking about something I wanted to do in life and something to be and something I said to Sharon, man, it just like feels like my dream's not coming true. And she said, we're your dream. And I remember that so poignantly because it was like, you can get real distracted in helping others and being good at what you do and developing yourself into something in a community or in a business. But when you lose the dream of your family, you've lost everything. And I've gone through that with a bunch of friends and family and it's no fun. So I think the culture that you identify with in your family and the culture you build in your family, that's how, that's why you can go out and do more. You can't do more if you can't take care of your own family. Mm. And that's where a lot of people think because they go do something, people should listen to them. Now, they're looking at what you've done and what impact you've made in your own family. So that's one of the most important things. So when my kids were growing and we got into high school years, then instead of just going to those other kids' houses, I'd bring them to our house for Bible studies. Or I would go to Chick-fil-A and have a group thing and always be around their friends who weren't always the best examples to try to teach them, here's how to be a great example. That kicked back to me a couple of years ago when a couple of the boys said, yeah, one of the things we appreciated is you loved our friends even when they were the goofballs. 
you know, even though we aren't hanging around with those kind of kids anymore, you allowed them to be part of our lives. And I, and I think that's the biggest thing. You got to have fun in your family. You got to develop a sense of who you are. I remember when the kids got a little bit old enough to know better, we would say to them, hey, don't forget you're a piper. When you walked out the door, don't forget you're a piper. So you have to identify and then say, this is what we are. This is our core. No whining, no complaining, no excuses. You know, all the little cliches you get and all that. But you just got to stick with that. And then I think addressing your wife, especially as men, but addressing your wives as the most cherished, honored, important thing in your life will be the number one example to a young man. He will watch that and watch that and watch that. And when you slip up, he'll watch. Uh, and one of the mo most fun, Sharon and I have so much fun. And, and so we've always had fun with the kids and been able to bring them into all of our parts of our lives. Now it's coming back full circle where they want us around all the time. You know, the grandkids are here now, so it's a whole new element. But I think that identifying who you are as a family, having the standards of Christ in it, and then live it because you're not going to live perfect lives. You're not you know, you're, you're going to live difficult lives. And it's what you do in those times. Your kids are watching what happens when everybody gets mad or everybody gets sad. Or good things happen when bad things happen, when people die, when people get promotions and, and how you handle those things and what those things look like um, become part of their daily thinking process. Um, so I think that's the key thing is giving those elements and then just staying with them again. I, I will agree that you are fun. I remember my, this is a side note, but my favorite memory of you, I was probably six years old. We were sitting on the front porch at my house in Ohio and there was a daddy long leg crawling across the porch. And I was like, man, look at that daddy long leg. And you said, want me to eat it? And I said, yes. And you ate it. And I told that story to all my friends for probably three years. And your oh, mother's yeah. like, he's crazy, but I love him. And I was like, man, <laughs> I want to be that guy one day. Yeah. He's freaking awesome. I was, I was notorious for doing crazy things. I was eating crazy things was always one of them for sure. So <laughs> we, we, got, we got Petey last summer. He he uh, he had a bet with my seven-year-old son at the time, and he lost. And Petey hates mayonnaise. So he had to eat like a huge spoonful of mayonnaise, and it was. <laughs> I would rather eat a daddy long leg. I, I, was, I was gagging the whole time. It was hilarious. That's that's my Mason. Mason's he he hates mayonnaise. He had to do the same thing. I knew I like Mason. That's my boy. <laughs> well, it's fun. It's it's funny because you brought up your family. So Dirk, your dad, and I became really close friends. Obviously, and we had a group of guys that we were close with, and Dirk and I played sports. In the in the, in the uh, Christian church, you know, at our church chapel, but we also played football outside of that. We played flag <laughs> football together, and it was it was you got to be warriors. This was full contact, former pro and college guys. Everyone was playing, and we would absolutely not give that you know that that just we were warriors. And then after the game was over, that's when they saw the difference. Because we would, our wives and kids would be there. We we wouldn't go out to the bar and hang out and drink with them and get drunk. We would be different, but not on the field. When it was when we were allowed to cross the line and be warriors, we loved it. And then when you cross back over, you kind of saw, oh no, that's in the context of this. So as men, I think Jordan Peterson always says it: you got to be absolute monsters, but then know how to control that. 
Hmm. Because there are times we have to step up as men to be protectors, to be the warriors and the family that need to be there, you know, and take care of our kids that right way. So, but that was always fun with, with Dirk. We had, a, we had great times like that. That's awesome. I love that. Um, something that you were hitting on earlier that I think really interests me. This is something that my wife and I talk about. I think my parents did a pretty good job of it was I felt like our house was kind of like a beacon to like bring people in and then go out from. Um, it was always like, no, nah, I'm not going to let you go hang out at that kid's house, but he is welcome here anytime. Like, I, I think I have a vision for that. Like I would love for like our kids, whoever their friends are, like maybe they'll choose great friends maybe they won't, but I want our house to be a place that they feel comfortable at. Like, what does that look like for you guys as your kids grew up bringing people into your home and making them or helping them experience Christ in your home? Like what was kind of the thought behind that with you and Sharon uh, with the boys? So I think the most important part of that is your children, your boys, especially they need to see what a real man is. And so you can, you, you can bring people in and, and not change who you are. And you don't have to do, you know, you don't have to do all these manly things to be a great man. You have to do godlike things to be a great man. And then who gets the credit but God? So to do that, you have to take chances. You have to be willing to, to be vulnerable. I think vulnerability is the key thing because a lot of those kids, the reason they aren't doing great is because of things that are going on in their lives. So if you bring them around and let, let your family see what I I can, one of the things the boys always said, you know, like you're always trying to make something better around us. You know, it it was us, but you would even, you'd bring things in. And some of these guys, we would have gang members over the house who would play with my kids, just play with them and roll around with them. And they would be like 18 and my guys would be like 12, nine. And, and, and it didn't matter to me because I knew those kids loved me. So they loved being around that. It wasn't until the boys got a little bit older to understand exactly what was going on. But when you, when you show your kids, Hey, this is how you love. They're looking for that, but they're going to look for good things. They're not going to look for, you know, and one, I, one of the hardest things was that my kids did get into a, hey, we want to try to help kids when they were the same age. And that's very hard to do. Yeah. And so that was a little difficult. So I had to teach them around that, like, hey, you're not going to be able to do that all the time, you know. But, uh, but I think the idea of just having God's love as a part of just natural, like just this is how we just do it. You know, we invite people in, we treat people a certain way all the time, no matter what. You know, and I think that that develops this kind of vision in their hearts and minds that, oh, this is how you do that. Um, One of the really fun things right now is, you know, our boys are 26 to 33. They're counting on each other. You know, you have four boys, all different personalities, all different kind of things. And they're they go to each other all the time. And that's huge for us because we trained them up and now they're helping each other grow. No, all the boys now are kind of like going through huge stages in their life. They've got, uh, you know, Gibson just got his first high school varsity men's uh, coaching position. That just happened like a few weeks ago. Cody just bought his house today. So, you know, showed us a sold sign. They're standing by there. You know, Brock is back coaching with me at the high school. And then Mason's doing Mason, which is TikTok and, and teaching and having a blast doing his thing. But they're all growing and they're all doing things. They're, 
like Mason and, and, and Brock are just in Pennsylvania together with her, with his wife's, with Brock's wife's family hanging out. They just, the, the grandkids are over uh, Gibson's house because the other ones had a sign on the house. So they've really gotten connected with each other. And that's honestly the most fun. Sometimes we like, feel like we're left out, but it's because, you know, we trained them so well to, to love each other. <laughs> like, hey, we'll come over too. <laughs> Can we go? So, yeah, so it's a very, uh, it's a very fun time because, you know, and then the grandkids are just about five and four. So we're just about ready to, you know, sharing what well, the way the work, our lives work is that Sharon gets them till about third grade. And then I get to go wild with them for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. <laughs> so, man. Uh, well, we're, uh, we're coming short on time here. So, Hey, we really appreciate your time, but uh, if, I'm not sure if there's if there's one piece of advice you could give to some young dads raising up kids. Mike and I have kids eight and under. So is there any any wisdom you could share with us that maybe maybe someone listening also would want to hear? Doesn't that be one? Maybe you have two pieces, but yeah. yeah. So one of the most important things I did when we were young, because the four boys, right? Four boys and a mom. And uh, every Saturday, if not more, but I would take all four of them at age like one to like seven. And I would take them for the whole day. She could go shopping. She could go. She could just stay at home, whatever she wanted to do. That was one thing. I, and, and if anybody's listening who's a teacher, get the keys to the school. I've always gotten the keys to the school. <laughs> go play some basketball, and, boys. Yeah, you can, well, you can roll out anything. You got the PE equipment, <laughs> just roll it out. Here we go. But I think taking the time to recognize your wife's your wife's need is the most important thing, because number one, she'll appreciate you for it, and number two, your kids will grow to see it. They won't see it at first, but they will grow to see it and understand. Oh, he loves mom so much; he gives her a break, or they take out, they go out, and then you know, just make sure she becomes the the pedestal that she should be in their lives, because that's what they'll end up. All three boys that are married, all married, just the most incredible women and have a lot of traits like their mom does, which is great because she's just incredible. And of course, you have to marry a saint like my wife. (laughs) (laughs) We got some good ones. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, now you guys are how far in? You got two or three now, Petey? I have three and he has three. Uh, I've got two boys and a little girl and I got a boy and two girls. Yeah, and I don't know the girl thing. I can't help you there. <laughs> well, I, hey, I'm I'm one of four boys in my family, just like your so you kids. Know. So when we had our girl, she's she's the third one. I don't know what I'm doing, man. I'm I'm trying to I'm figuring it's, it out. <laughs> it's it's great though. Just nah, she's again, awesome. And you and you, I just can't not say enough about how you treat your wife is how your life is going to be yeah. remembered. Because that's what grows the rest of it. Because she's such a caregiver and such a lover of of being. If she's free to be just that to the kids and to the house and to the things that are important to her, she's going to reward you back over over, and uh, it's really going to help your your kids just grow with that kind of love. Is so fun, you know. So that's that's great advice. Yeah. So uh, awesome. Well, we really do appreciate your time. I feel like we need to uh, maybe have an episode two with you. I feel like there's so many more questions I want to ask you about. 
Um, yeah. You're the man. You, you get us fired would, up about building culture in our homes for sure. Yeah, just, yeah, just, and never, never, never give up. That's it. It's your family. You win every time. Don't, don't lose. Win every time. Thanks, man. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate right. you, man. Hey, Thanks, Coach. Talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. Love you, man. Love you, See man. You soon. See you. All right. Bye-bye.